Well, we're uh, continuing our Christmas, pre-Christmas series, and uh, I'm real excited about, about what God's going to do in this coming uh, week and um, how he's going to use this series and how he's going to use our, our Christmas family service on the 23rd and then our Christmas Eve services the day after. Um, I know God's going to um, do so many amazing things in the lives of, of us and of our friends over this, uh, over this Christmas season. Um, and, and you know what? I, I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up on what next week's message, like the Christmas Eve message, message is going to be about. How many of you want to hear that? Yeah? We all want to know. You know, is this, this going to be good, you know, for my friends to come? You know, right? Just be honest here. Okay. Now, I'm going to speak, be speaking about peace. Peace, because the world is longing for peace. And what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to build a foundation upon which we can um, bring that message next week uh, about peace, you know, during our Christmas Eve service. And I'm building on another foundation that has been laid last week by Joshua. And he did a fantastic job with, it, with his message uh, about uh, Mary and, um, and Zechariah and how they responded to the angel. How many of you loved that message last week? So uh, thank you for sharing. And, um, and, and so the story that uh, Joshua got into last week is that there was an angel, Gabriel, who appeared to, uh, to, to two people, to Mary, this young girl, um, and told her she was, go- she was going to get uh, pregnant supernaturally. And then the angel also appeared to Zechariah, an older guy, um, who uh, he and his wife were way past um, childbearing age. And he spoke to them as well. You're going to get a child as well. Well, it was miraculous in both ways because Mary had never had, uh, she never slept with a man. Um, and then Zechariah and, and, um, and Elizabeth, they were way too old to get children. So, so they would get kids in a normal way, yet still it was supernatural because they were, they were too old. And uh, so you see how, um, how, the, how Michael, uh, how, the, how the angel appears uh, to them. Uh, sorry, Gabriel, not Michael. I <laughs> don't know where I got that from. Um, so Gabriel appears to them and, and speaks to them about this child that, that will be born. And um, so uh, Mary receives the message and she believes the message right away while Zechariah was actually struggling with it. And, um, you know, he, he must have gone through decades and decades of hoping they would, be, be, they would get pregnant and not seeing it happen. And, and you could see that at this time in, his, in their life, they would have lost all hope that God would ever give him a child. And um, so I can really relate to that, that story um, myself. You know, um, back in 2008, um, my wife and I, we were longing to have, have children. And uh, we were trying and trying and trying, and it just wasn't happening. So we decided to go to the doctor. Um, and uh, they, he sent us off to the, to the hospital to, to basically have some fertility tests. And um, so we're doing that, and we get the message, hey, it's going to be very hard, the natural way to, to get children. Also, um, we had like two, um, um, how, do you, how do you say that? Um, um, mis- miscarriages, that's the right word. Thank you. Um, Thank you, notes. Um, so we had two miscarriages in that, in, that, in that time as well. And it was a very painful, emotionally painful time uh, where we're just struggling uh, to see, you know, is God ever going to give us children in, 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 this, whole, in this whole time, in this whole season of our lives? And um, so, um, so, so we were almost like giving up hope that it was going to happen the natural way. Uh, and we were getting ready to do uh, some fertility treatments. But right before that, Eva found out that she was actually pregnant. We couldn't believe it. 
she had she did one fertility, so like one uh, pregnancy test, and it said it was positive, and they were like, no, this can't be true. So she did a second one, it was positive again. So we're like, we gotta get this checked up and make sure that this is really true. So we went to the uh, to the um, uh, to to do a scan, and we saw that uh, there wasn't just one little uh, live, you know, child there. There were two right there. We're like, man, this is amazing. We're ready just, just like this at <laughs> once. So uh, we're so thankful that, that God blessed us with, with two children, with, with twin boys. Uh, but at the same time, we know the pain that, that some of us suffer um, because we weren't able to get children. And, and let me tell you this. I believe that God, in the midst of your pain, that he is there for you, that he's faithful to you, that, that, that he uses you um, in spite of, of, of your longing to have children, that God has a plan with you. And even, uh, even if you don't become pregnant, God um, just loves you and he cares for you in the midst of that. I know how difficult it is to see everybody around you become pregnant while you're not getting pregnant yourself. So, um, so in, this, in the story here, you see that, um, uh, that um, Zechariah and, um, and Elizabeth had lost all hope. And then, uh, then she suddenly becomes pregnant. She goes to her cousin Mary, who is obviously much younger than she is. And, um, and they have a great time together. And as they meet, this, this amazing story happens in the book of, book of Luke. You see that the baby within Elizabeth's um, womb, that, she, that, that the baby in that womb leaps for joy. And, and, and you see how, um, how also Elizabeth is, is filled with the spirit uh, at that moment and, and basically shares some, some, some insights about who the Messiah will be uh, who was in, in Mary's womb. It's amazing to see, see that take place there in the story. There's a miracle that, that's, that was on the way there. And then the story turns back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And after, after decades of being childless, they give birth to a son. If you know a little bit of the background um, of, of, uh, of, the, of Israel in those days, of the Jews in those days, Jewish boys would be circumcised on the eighth day. And that was also the day where they would receive their name. And um, since um, Zechariah couldn't speak, because Zechariah didn't believe the angel, he was struck, um, you know, he was struck so that he, he couldn't speak anymore. And uh, so they asked his wife, so what, what should the name be of this child? And, and um, so Elizabeth says, you know, his name is, is John. And they, they all think, well, this is crazy because the boys usually will be named after their father. So why don't you call him Zechariah? Uh, uh, yeah, Zechariah. And, and she says, no, no, his name is, is supposed to be John. So they check it with him. He takes out this, this tablet, and I don't mean an iPad with that. And he writes down the name of, of the child. No, his name is John. And at that moment, he's able to speak again. Amazing to see after, after nine months of, of, of not being able to speak, he's able to, to speak again. And, and uh, so, um, so then we read that, uh, that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he opens his mouth to share a prophecy. He shares some, some of God, God's thoughts about, about their baby, about John, but also about the Messiah. And, and what I love about this is, is like in the, in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the book of Acts, there's this recurring theme about being filled with the Spirit. There's this recurring theme about, um, about being able to prophesy and, be, uh, and speak in tongues and those type of things. You see that happen over and over again in Luke Acts. And Luke Acts, they, these two books were both written by the same person, which is uh, Luke the doctor. 
Don't you just love it that, that, that this doctor, who is supposed to be this, this, this um, scientific type of guy, that he believed in the, in the, in the supernatural conception of, of, of the baby in Mary's womb, that, that there will be no father, that, no human father that, that would be involved with this, and that Mary would, would give birth to the Messiah, to Jesus. He believed it. So if he believed it and wrote it down, was able to write it down, write it down like this and, and put his own, um, um, his own reputation on the line, then we should be able to believe the words of, of Luke as well. So the theme today is delivery underway. And, and what's, what's clear about this prophecy is that, that, that John, you know, he's also referred to as John the Baptist, that he will prepare the way so that the Christmas delivery, Jesus Christ, could be received by people like you and me. The Zechariah's prophecy paints the picture of, of who John would become, but also who the, what the Messiah will be like. And I want to read with you today from, uh, from uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 68 and following. So if you have a Bible, look it up. If you, if you have an app, make sure you look it up there because um, it's very handy to read along. It's the New King James Version that I'm using. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah, he looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. He knew that the Messiah was on his way, and, and he speaks here as if it's already been fulfilled. He has visited his people. He has redeemed his people. How amazing is that? He, 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 looked, he looked into the future and he saw what, have, what, what would take place as a result of the coming of Messiah. He says, God visited his people. That means something like he looks up with care for us. He looks up with care for his people. He redeemed his people. In other words, he paid the price to set his people free from slavery. That's what's going on right here. And I love this, that, that God just looks out for Israel, for his people. He looks out for the church, and he looks out for you and me. God is, is concerned about your life. He loves you. He wants to know all about you, the ins and outs of your life. Whether you feel it's good or bad, God cares about you. That's my first take-home for you today. I got five for you today, so make sure you write them down or take pictures or whatever. First one is this, Jesus looks out for you with care. He looks out for you with care. The scripture says that God would raise up a horn of salvation. In other words, a, a ram's horn, of, which was like, a, was like a sign of authority and power in, in those days. The New Living Translation talks about this, interprets it as that God would raise up a mighty Savior, a mighty Savior. And that horn of salvation, that mighty Savior would come from the line of King's David, King David's family, the king who had a, God, had a heart after God's own heart, the king who was faithful to God in spite of the mistakes that he made, the second king of Israel. And Jesus will be his descendant. The Messiah will be from royal lineage. He will be a king. And this king looks out for you with care. God looks out for you with care. And the story continues in verse 70, the prophecy. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Interesting here what 
what Zechariah here says about, about the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, in the Bible, there's, there's two parts. And I know most of us Christians, we kind of prefer to stick to the New Testament because it's more easily accessible to, to all of us. But there's a whole, you know, world in the Old Testament that is so important that kind of undergirds our faith of the New Testament. It's not, we're not done yet with the Old Testament. It's still extremely important for us to realize what, what has been written there. It's filled with prophecies, with pictures of what this Messiah would look like, who would come in the future. Filled with stuff about, it, about the Messiah. But the interesting thing is that when you look at the Old Testament, and you put all the Messianic prophecies next to each other, that um, it's almost like pieces of a puzzle. It's like how many, ever, uh, how many of you have ever made a puzzle of 1,000 pieces or more? How, how many of you have ever made a puzzle with 1,000 pieces or more without having the picture of what the puzzle should look like in the end? Okay, there's one person who did that. You're brave. It's hard, right? Is it hard? It's hard. It's almost impossible. And that's what, what happened. You know, there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament, and God did that for a reason. He made sure that, that, that the full picture wasn't known yet at that moment. You know why God did that? Because if, if the full picture was known about who the Messiah would be like, the devil would have never crucified him. Because if the devil had known that Jesus would have to die on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins, so that we could have eternal life, he would have never had him crucified. Because the devil hates people. He doesn't want them to, to, to have a relationship with God. He doesn't want them to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. So he would have never crucified Jesus. That's why, you know, all the signs were there in the Old Testament. But you, but you need to, to see the full picture in the person of Jesus before you fully can understand that Jesus brings back together all those prophecies. The prophecies about this messianic king. But also the prophecies about the suffering servant. In the book of Isaiah, that Jesus, that the Messiah will be somebody who would suffer for our sins in our place. The New Testament brings them all together, but the Old Testament gives all the different pieces of the puzzle, but we need to see them assembled before we can, can see that Jesus truly fits, fits the whole description. It's easy for us as Christians to look back at the Old Testament data and say, yes, Jesus fulfills all of it. It wasn't easy in the Old Testament. It wasn't easy in Jesus' day for people to see it. God really had to reveal it to them, like, just like he revealed it to, to Peter, that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the son of the living, the living God. Israel would one day be saved from, from their enemies. But when Jesus came for the first time, those who would trust in him would not be saved from a physical enemy like the Romans because the Israelites were, the, the Jews were living under Roman oppression in those days. No, they wouldn't be set free from the Romans. They would be set free from a spiritual enemy, which is the power of sin. That's my second take home. Jesus saves you from your enemy within. Jesus saves you from the sin enemy in your life. We got to realize that in all of us, there's a war raging. 
Our souls rage with fear and with bitterness and greed and arrogance and envy and pride and all these things. And, 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 what's, and it all happens inside of us. But what it, what it looks on the outside is things like unforgiveness and bitterness and, 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 and like strife and, and, and violence and wars. What happens on the, the war that happens on the inside of us comes out as these, these bigger things that we see happening around us. And in our prayers, we keep asking God to fix the world. Make sure all the wars will be over. We keep praying like that, but instead we need to start praying in a different way. Lord, silence the war inside of us. That he fixes us, that he changes us from within. Because he came to save us from the enemy that is on the inside of us, from the sin that's on the inside of us. Because the battle on the inside of you is more serious than any outside influence. And there's good news for all of you who are in Christ because he has overcome, Jesus has overcome. Because of what the victory that he's won on the cross, we can have victory over the war that's gone inside, on the inside of us. That is good news for, for us. We can overcome the war that's going on within us. Verse 27, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore, swore to, his, to, to our father Abraham. When I look at this, I, I just see that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. If he said it, if God said it, he will do it. He made a covenant with the Israelites through their forefather, Abraham, and he promised him land and, and offspring. Too many to count. In fact, in fact uh, God said to Abraham that he would have offspring as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Imagine that God said that to a guy who, well, he was fertile, but his wife wasn't. They couldn't get children of their own. He said that to Abraham, that he's going to do this thing. He's, he's, he's going to get a child of his own. And he promised to Abraham also that in his offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And the birth of John and the soon to happen birth of Jesus was a confirmation to Zechariah that God remembered his covenant, that he still loved his people with the same love that he had in days past. That's my third take home for you today. God loves you with an everlasting love and mercy. He loves you with an everlasting love and mercy. He remembers his covenant. And why do we so often struggle with that? You know, the, the Israelites, they had wandered off in disobedience to God. And, and when Jesus was born, the pendulum had shifted to, another, to the other extreme. You know, some people obviously were disobeying God in, in Jesus' day, but there were other people that were so, so religious. They were so um, legalistic that, that they, they, it would be like a religious rule-keeping. That was like what their religion was like in those days for many. But you know what? God loves you with an everlasting love. That means that nothing that you can do will make him love you more or less. He loves you with an everlasting love and mercy. We got to open our lives to that, to that message. And it goes on in verse 74. Um, Zechariah says, It's to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. When Messiah comes, 
and deals with our spiritual enemy, we can serve God without fear. We don't have to be ashamed of our past anymore. That's the problem with most of us. You know, we've made mistakes in the past. Maybe we're still making mistakes today and we're living with this judgment on our lives. We're thinking that, hey, because I've done this and I've done that, God doesn't love me anymore. Israel lived with shame, the people of Israel. God's people had failed before and they were, they were exiled to Babylon. They were, you know, oppressed by the Romans. But there was a new covenant that was coming and that, was, that would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus that, that God wanted to make with his people. A covenant that would change their hearts from within. They would give him hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. So that the have to would, would, would become want to. That's what God wants to do. That's my fourth take on God gives you a new heart that wants, that wants to follow him and do his will. God... Basically, he wants to give you open heart surgery, spiritually speaking. So faith is no longer about following the rules, hoping to get to heaven. Faith is now all about loving God because he first loved us. First John speaks about it so clearly that because he loved us first, we can love him back. And because he loved us first, we can love each other. That's a New Testament pattern. It's not about religious rule keeping, trying to get to heaven anymore. Because his love has been poured out in our hearts. There's nothing more that we, we would want to do than, than, than doing his will. We can now walk in holiness and righteousness. Because of that heart surgery, spiritually speaking, that we've received. God gives us a new heart that wants to follow him. And wants to do his will. Then verse 76. And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. John will be a prophet. Now what is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who speaks on behalf of God. And by being a voice for God in his day, he was able to, to prepare the way of the Lord. John's task was to give knowledge of salvation, to, to explain to his people how they could be saved. Their sins had separated them from God and, and, and even brought judgment on the nation, but there's salvation available for those who believe in God and who accept this message. How? By the re remission of their sins. By the forgiveness of their sins. But you know what? The word remission is a word that, that when you look at what it really means, it goes so much deeper than just you know, a, a casual forgiveness. Oh, you did something wrong to me, I forgive you. Remission of sins is something more powerful. It's a way more powerful picture. It's like God just deletes it. And not just deletes to, to send it to the recycle bin of your computer. He deletes it, you know, forever and ever. It's gone. You're washed clean. That's the type of thing that God does for us when, we, when, we, when our sins are remitted. You know, they're sent away. It's like this picture in the Old Testament in the Psalms is like, like, like your sins are cast in the deepest of the sea. And then and Corrie ten Boom said, uh, you know, there needs to be a sign there that says no fishing allowed. The problem with, us, with most of us is that when we know our sins are forgiven, that we start to fish there with a rod and we try to get our sins back because it's like we're, they've become part of our lives and we feel like, hey, <laughs> we miss something when we don't have them anymore. We should just let them go. There's a fresh start that we've made where we have a clean slate before God. 
When he's forgiven our sins, when he's forgotten our sins, when he's remitted our sins, why would we bring them up ourselves? Why would we want to bring them up ourselves again? They're gone. Leave them there. He wants to take away your sin. He wants to take away your shame. And it was only possible because Jesus would die on the cross. That's the interesting thing about Christmas because we, we think about how Jesus came to this earth as this little baby boy. And, you know, for, for most people, it's like, oh, it's so cute, this little baby. We had a very cute little baby too at the Christmas journey. But um, the message of Christmas only makes sense if there's a message of Easter, of Good Friday and Easter. Good Friday, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And Easter, him being resurrected from the dead so that we may have life, life abundant and life eternal. Jesus came to this world to set us free, to give us a clean slate. You know what? God didn't only send John. He didn't only want him to prepare the way for the Lord the way for his son. He wants all of us to prepare the way for Jesus to find his home in the hearts of others who are far away from God. He wants to use all of us to be little John the Baptist, to go out and prepare the hearts of other people for the coming of the Lord in their own lives. And I believe that's, that's a great opportunity for us in this Christmas season because People are more open to God. People are more open for the true message of Christmas in this time of the year than any other time of the year because they're looking for meaning. That's my fifth take home. God wants you to prepare the way for others to receive the Messiah. My challenge to you in this coming week is this. Will you pray for, will you show God's love to, will you invite to church, will you bring to church the people in your world that are far away from God at this moment? Will you draw them into a relationship with God by, by showing what he has done in your life? God wants to use you as a John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Lord to come into the lives of those people. And Christmas is the best season for that to happen because people are most open in this time of the year. Let's be John the Baptist's. Not a prophecy, it turns the focus, the spotlight away from, from John back on the Messiah. And it says this, verse 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, this is such a powerful image that, that is shared here by Zechariah. The day spring from on high has visited us. Again, that, that, that same word that was used in verse 68, that, that you know, that, that he's visited us, that, that he's, he's looking out for care, uh, looking out with care for us. And the day spring from on high, this is, this is something way different than an ordinary rising of the sun. So much more than an, earth, than an earthly dawn. The kind of dawn we see on a day when there's actually sun out there, not on a gray morning like this with a little bit of snow or something like that. There's a day spring from the most high. It's, 
And his light will shine directly in the, in the, in the darkness of a broken, war-torn torn world, in a world where there is no peace. And it's a dawn that will never stop. It will start. It started when Jesus came to this world, and it's never ending. His dawn is still rising today. And Jesus, he gives light. That's the story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, that Jesus wants to give that light into the world. You know, in this time of the year, the Jews also celebrate Hanukkah, which is a feast of light as well. The light has come into a dark world. God gives light to those who sit in darkness and, and camp out in the shadow of death, bound by the fear of death. Let faith expel fear. Let, let love expel fear. Let life expel fear. It says here that, that he would guide our feet into the way of peace. He would guide our feet, yours and my feet. Not just the feet of the Jews who were directly addressed with this message. No, all our feet were, are guided into the way of peace. Everyone is included here. I love that. And the way of peace, you know, it says that Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. And even though the, Jesus prepares the way for you to be saved, you still have to walk on that way of peace. And I'm not talking here about salvation by works because we're saved by His grace through faith, right? But faith says, if, if that's the way of peace, I'm going to step on it. I'm going to receive that peace that you have for me. I'm going to receive that forgiveness of sins from my life. I'm going to receive that eternal life that you have for me. We can walk on the way of peace, follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, when you look around, you see that, that everybody in this world really wants to be guided in the way of peace. We all want to experience shalom, wholeness, tranquility. I'm going to talk more about that on Christmas Eve. But only Jesus can guide your feet in the way of peace. When he, as the Prince of Peace, appears as the dayspring in your life and makes his home in your heart. I believe that's the most important decision we can make on this side of eternity. That we would allow Jesus in. That we would allow his dayspring to rise in our lives. That we would allow his dayspring to, to rise in this whole area through us. It's the most important decision we can ever make in our lives to, to say, Jesus, here I am. I've been trying to find peace in my own strength. I've been trying to find peace in all the wrong places. But I know it's just you who can give me that peace that passes all understanding. Make your home in my heart, Jesus. Change my life from the inside out. I want to receive that peace. I want to pass it on to others. That's a message of Christmas. That's a message that we, we find here in the scripture. And my question to you is, have you allowed the day spring? Have you allowed Jesus to make his home in your heart? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we come to you, Lord, right now. God, we live in a world that is raging with violence. 
materialism, sin, with so many things, God. And God, we can pray uh, that you would take those things away around us, but instead you want to still the war that's going on in the inside of us. God, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our souls, our emotions, our, our whole being to you, Lord. And we say to you, God, give us peace. Give me a peace that passes all understanding that my life can be different. My heart of stone can become a heart of flesh. And you can do this new thing, Lord, where, where I can not only receive your life, but pass it on to the people around me. God, there's a new start, a fresh start that you want, want me to make, that you want all of us to make today, God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just to give a bit of privacy. I know, I know there's some people in this room. They know that war is raging in their hearts. They know that there's a lack of peace in their hearts. Some of you have made the decision to submit your life to the Prince of Peace. Others of you have never made the decision before. But all I know is that there's nothing more that God wants to do than to flood your life with peace. Peace overflowing. Shalom overflowing. So if that's you, if you long for that peace, if you want the Prince of Peace to come into your life, maybe for the first time, or maybe you want to open your heart again to Him. I want you to take a very bold step. It's to raise your hand. as a sign, Lord, I, I want you. I want you in my life. I want the Prince of Peace in my life. I want, I want this war in my heart, in my emotions to just stop. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you a prayer of surrender to him. If that's you, just raise your hand. I see a hand right there. Thank you. I know there's more people that need to make the decision this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand. Maybe we can pray this prayer out loud right now. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. That he is my Prince of Peace. That he wants to still the war that's raging in my heart. Today I surrender to you, Jesus. I want to make you the Lord over my life. Forgive me of my sins. God, I want to turn from my sins. And I want to turn to you. Be my number one, Jesus. Be my God, be my Savior. Thank you for life the way it was supposed to be. Thank you for eternal life. And thank you for shalom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand and the people who made the decision in their hearts.